you would, open up with me in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 11. Zechariah 11. While you're opening up there, uh, the word that we have this morning, uh, it could seem negative at first glance. Uh, I would not be surprised if you felt that as we were reading it, and that's okay. Uh, But instead of the word negative, I think that perhaps a better word is sobering. Uh, The reason why it's sobering, or perhaps humbling, uh, is because as we read through this, we might have the tendency, which we sometimes do uh, when we read the Word, to think that this is about somebody else, instead of seeing ourselves within the text. And I will give you a hint. Uh, We are not the Lord, and we are not Zechariah. (laughs) So it'll narrow the pool of who we can be uh, in this Bible passage, which uh, perhaps uh, might get us closer to that dangerous piece of thinking, oh man, this is super negative. You know, I didn't come to be depressed or something like that. Uh, But rather, I believe that if we can move through this word well, that we might come out on the other end, not only positive, but encouraged in who we are as a people and who we are as individuals. That's the point. Because uh, as we think about the church, Uh, The church is not uh, um, just uh, this kind of blob that uh, uh, that cannot be separated. Uh, We are individuals, family units. Uh, We come together as building blocks indeed uh, that that, that uh, reveal a body of Christ. For instance, Paul says that some people are hands, some people are fingers, some people are noses, some people are toes, and all throughout, right? Uh, We are building blocks that create, and without one or the other, We suffer. Uh, Just break your toe. See how it is to walk and you'll know uh, that illustration proves true. But, But that's the point is that as we come to this word, let us see it for ourselves and don't judge it before we finish. I truly believe that we will be encouraged by the end. Uh, Our main point today is that God's love for his people is true, which grants the benefit of both favor and union with him. You'll see why this is the main point when we read. But first, let's pray uh, uh, for this reading of God's holy word. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this word here that is most certainly in season. God, I pray that it will be a blessing to our souls, that we will be indeed convicted of our sin and at the same time comforted by the gospel of Jesus that is the working of you, O Father, in our lives. That's how this works. So God, please work now by your Holy Spirit. Do it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Zechariah chapter 11, starting with verse 4. We'll read through the chapter. Thus said the Lord my God, Become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished. And those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor and each into the hand of his king. And they shall crush the land and I will deliver none from their hand. So I became the shepherd of the flock, doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. And I took two staffs, one I named Favor, the other I named Union. 
and I tended the sheep. In one month, I destroyed the three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die? Let it die. What is to be destroyed? Let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff favor, and I broke it annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day. And the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages. But if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And then the Lord said to me, Take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed, or seek the young, or heal the maimed, or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hoofs. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. Now the grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of the Lord, it remains forever, which means, as I said last week, right, that we'll have this word, Zechariah 11, in heaven. Therefore, it cannot be negative for God's people. It must be revealing of the Lord and his goodness and grace for how he is moving in this world. So remember this main point. I hope you heard about these staves, these staffs of favor and union, because our main point this morning is that God love, God's love for his people, it's true, which grants the benefit of favor and union with him. So first then, let's walk through the three points, three D's for us. Doomed, disfavored, and deserted. That's what the flock is without God. So let's move then into our first point. Without God, the flock is doomed. Verses 4, 5, and 6. In our household, that is mine and Rebecca's, uh, I am known, I am relatively famous in fact, or maybe Rebecca would say infamous, uh, for a line that I say quite often to our children. It starts off with Mary Emmeline or Isaac or now Carwin uh, climbing precariously onto something, uh, something that should not be surmountable. And yet there they are. And I say to them, be careful climbing on whatever it is you're climbing on because I think you're about to fall to your doom. <laughs> You're gonna fall to your doom. What does that mean, Dad? And I'm kind of being silly, but I'm also being serious. You're about to fall. You know, it's, it's kind of a joke uh, in our house. You're about to fall to your doom. However, unlike my children, who still have a chance not to fall in that case, right? I'm warning them beforehand. The sheep that we see here being illustrative of God's people, by the way. That's what I was telling the children. This, this is God's people we're talking about, okay? They are doomed to slaughter, so says the word. The reasons given are straightforward, and they're found in verse 5 and very explicit. The reason they are doomed to slaughter are as follows. No justice, 
That's the word unpunished, okay? There's no punishment. There's no justice here in this uh, a godless move. Uh, there is deep greed and hypocrisy. We see that in verse 5 with the words, I have become rich. So praise God, I'm rich now. I just killed some people, right? Uh, I, 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 am, uh, I am gaining my wealth off the backs of others in an untoward way. Praise God for it, right? That's, that's hypocritical. That's not what the Lord desires for his people or for his leaders, okay? And so that's the second reason they are doomed to slaughter. Deep greed and hypocrisy. And then thirdly, no pity from those who should be caring the most. That is, the shepherds of the sheep. Now, we transition from verse 5 to verse 6 and we see a reap what you sow moment where God removes his presence and protection of those people, the ones who are, uh, uh, who are hindering the sheep and, and dooming the sheep to slaughter. Well, now, no justice, deep greed and hypocrisy, and no pity of verse 5 is the effect not only on the sheep, but on the buyers, sellers, and shepherds too. In other words, everybody. If you're going to do this to my people, I'm going to do it to you. An eye for an eye. Lex talionis is what we see as the Lord meets out justice in such a way. But the point remains. Without God, the flock is doomed. And all that can be found is damage. God's love for his people, it's true. But the point here is very straightforward and very hard to miss. The world's love for people and people's love for people, it comes tinged and soured by sin, which at the least causes frustration, which is typical, right? Uh, not usually destruction, but at the worst, it causes destruction, which is what we see here in the first part of our Bible passage, the flock is doomed without God. Secondly, without God, the flock is also disfavored. Verses 7 through 14. Zechariah obeys the command of God from verse 4, which was, hey, become a shepherd. And he does. He becomes a shepherd to the flock in verse 7, taking up the symbolically named staves, the staffs of favor and union. It's very straightforward so far, but verse 8's language can be a little tricky for us because of all of the different pronouns and what's being referred to what, okay? Uh, in the Hebrew, it's very explicit. In the English, it gets a little tricky. And so let's walk through this verse piece by piece. Having taken up the mantle of the shepherd, verse 8 tells us that Zechariah destroys the three pitiless shepherds who were uncaring of the flock. The flock rejoices at this act, right? No. No, they don't. In fact, what we see is the opposite happening. Are y'all familiar with the term Stockholm Syndrome? If you heard that maybe in the news or you've seen this play out, or at least you know kind of about it, uh, uh, here's just a 
just a basic definition you might find if, if you Googled it or something like that or if you looked in a dictionary or an encyclopedia. Stockholm Syndrome is a psychological response. It occurs when hostages or abuse victims bond with their captors or abusers. This psychological connection develops over the course of the days, weeks, months, or even years of captivity or abuse. What we see in verse 8 is a spiritual Stockholm Syndrome where the flock prefers the pitiless, greedy, and justiceless world that they had previously inhabited under the three faithless and pitiless shepherds. And so you see Zechariah then, this is Holland verse 8 by the way, that's why we're marching through it, Zechariah becomes impatient with them while they likewise, if you follow it out to the end, detested him as well. What follows then is a disfavor from the Lord, where the Lord allows the world's dog-eat-dog -dog mentality to reign. That's verse 9. Where the symbolic staff of favor is broken. That's verse 10. And where recognition that this was a formal breaking of God's favor is realized. That's verse 11. So it's not just a stick breaking of favor. Hey, this is my favorite stick. It's called favor. I broke it. I'm mad, right? No, the sheep traders are seeing this is beyond that. This is the word of the Lord. Even more so. Whereas the word favor, it takes up the concept of, of divine blessing from God. We then transition to a different word, union. And this word unity, it, it implies within it the, the mechanics, the, the nuts and bolts, uh, the contract as it were of the blessing. In other words, God is saying that due to the faithlessness and unrighteousness of the people, his contract with them is null and void. Verse 12 is then the settling of accounts, if you're thinking about this contract work, right? If, if it breaks down, we got to settle accounts so we can be done. 30 pieces of silver for Zechariah's work. 30 pieces of silver, by the way, if you were unfamiliar. It's the price of a slave that we find in Exodus chapter 21, verse 32. 30 pieces of silver is enough to betray Jesus. Indeed, 30 pieces of silver was the very sum that Judas cast onto the temple floor before hanging himself where? In the potter's field. A contract is broken. Verse 14 of our text. Then I broke my second staff, union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And remember, in God's uh, a march through history and his people, uh, Judah and Israel comprised uh, the people of God. Israel, of course, uh, uh, rebelled against God and his word and the rightful heir to the throne, that heir that would trace the lineage all the way down to Jesus himself, right? Uh, Israel going away from the Lord. Uh, but, but God saying, I'll never let my people go. They are a remnant here. And so what we see with this language of Judah and Israel is not like there were a lot of, uh, of people in Judah who were faithful and a lot of people in Israel who were unfaithful. Rather, the language is trying to remind us, the astute readers of God's Word who remember such things, that this is the moment where we see once again a repeating of the sins of our past. 
where we go away from the Lord rather than stay within His Word and within the bounds of His blessings of favor and union. A contract is broken, not by God, but by us. And yet, God's love for His people is true. And God's love for His people, it, it changes them to the point of no longer being bound by the world. And if one is bound by the world, then he or she is not of God. And that's the point, is that the contract is null and void because some of those people who had tried to put their name on the contract put it in dust. And so when the wind blew, the names were no longer found. Without God, the flock is disfavored. Lacking favor and union with God, which all humanity so desperately needs, whether we agree to that or not, it is the reality before us. Thirdly then, without God, the flock is deserted, 15, 16, 17. In a state of disfavor, lacking the contractual unity with God, the flock, did you notice, suffers terribly. Zechariah takes up the mantle no longer of a good shepherd, but one of a foolish shepherd. Verse 15, that is, one who even if he cared, lacks the wisdom necessary to care and keep the sheep. But verse 16 tells us that this shepherd won't even care. In fact, this shepherd will not seek the young, those needing sustenance and provision and protection. You know, if you were to find yourself on Rebecca's father's farm and you saw buzzards flying around a field and it was calving season. You knew you needed to get out there quickly because the calf probably wasn't dead. It was probably that it was alone and the buzzards saw an easy meal when it expired. The reality is here that what we would see is a shepherd seeing buzzards in the sky and saying, eh, whatever. And then if you remember that this isn't sheep that we're talking about, that these are people, it's heinous and deserving of the judgment of God. But it's not only the young. It's also those who are injured. Don't you feel like you go through this world injured? When have you been well? <laughs> When's the last time you were well? I feel like I haven't been well, right? You know, when you're 100%, we can say we're firing on 100%, but isn't 100% more like 75 or 80 or 85? It's not below 50, right? Anything, anything above 50, we're rocking and rolling, right? Spiritually, maybe physically, right? And so, you know, some of us hit that physical wall. It's like, man, you know, I talk to some of you and it's like, I get one thing better and another thing goes down, you know, and it's just, it, it. when have you been 100? And so then you've got a shepherd who sees these maimed sheep. Ah, it's more work for me. It's more work for me. Whatever. But it's not only the young. It's not only the maimed. What if you're saying, no, I'm good. I'm feeling good. I'm actually in a great place. Great. I'm going to take you, I'm going to slaughter you, and I'm going to eat you. I don't care for you, but I'm going to use you for my good. And that's what we see here. This terrible shepherd. This foolish shepherd. And, and if we're having trouble understanding that healthy part, it goes on to say, and this is like a... 
It's like a Hebrew idiom, like, uh, uh, like ooh, it's bone sucking good. Like, I, I ate that down to the marrow, right? I broke the bones and sucked the marrow out, right? That, it's that kind of saying where, man, that was so good, I ate it all. You see that in our text in verse 16, where it says he, he even ate the hooves, you know, down to the hooves. You know, I mean, there's not a lot of meat there, right? But the implication is that there's a total use of this foolish and terrible shepherd. And the point is even more than slammed home. Without God, the flock is deserted and the world devours them. And the Lord, he will indeed hold those who are allowing that to happen accountable. Verse 17, woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. Again, if the language is confusing you, uh, right implying power, uh, usually the dominant side. Uh, you've got this strength that comes there with the arm. And so when you miss an arm and when you miss an eye, you are totally hindered, right? You are powerless then. That's what the Lord is implying here in verse 17. So let's sum here. And let's flow into what I hope will be a good application. Without God, we see in this word that the flock is doomed, disfavored, and deserted. The point can't be clearer. Without God, we are indeed helpless and hopeless. But, dear Christians, we are not without God, are we? We are not ones who detest the righteousness of God. We are not ones who willfully desire bad shepherds over good ones. Are we? We are ones who have eyes to see and ears to hear the lesson God is giving through his prophet Zechariah, which is that God's people have had and are in need of a heart check from God through the Holy Spirit by the work of Jesus Christ and are now so othered from the world that they could never turn back. They could never go back to the world because they are so different. It's like water and oil for those who are truly following after the Lord. You just can't mix with the world even when you're in it. It always separates out. Try it if you don't know what I mean. Just put some oil and some water together and see what happens. That is the people of God. There is no turning back. That's the point. That's the point of what we see here in the word. That once an individual has tasted of the heavenly realities of the Lord truly. And of the Lord's work of God and his blessings truly. There is no way to turn back. To do so is to simply prove that the individual has not yet truly tasted of those heavenly realities. God's love for his people, it, it's true and it grants the benefits of favor and of union with him. Remember, without Jesus, we are the sheep of this passage, dead and gone. But with Jesus, here it comes, right? It's negative. I promise it's negative, right? I can't get out of negative. But with Jesus, the exact opposite happens. That's the point. Can't you see it? The staff of divine favor is not broken for God's people. In fact, Jesus broke his own body that the staff of divine favor would not be broken but held 
tightly. The staff of divine union is not broken for God's people because Jesus, rather than letting us sign our names in dust or in pencil or in pen or whatever we want to do to try to think that it's permanent, he took his own blood and he signed the contract for us with the Lord. He did it to make sure that we didn't mess it up. Union with the Lord is sure for the Christian because of that. These two symbolic staffs, they represent the fullness of the gospel blessings and what it is that we receive upon believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, if we are to take these and hold them and see these before us and recognize that what was negative is positive for the people of God and that we should be sober and humble because we should be those sheep. And yet we are not because God has picked us up and drawn us in because he is the good shepherd, then by way of application, I must ask you, and I would ask that you take this seriously, what is your spiritual independence level? I don't mean independence from God, for there is no such thing if we are to define spirituality correctly. What is your spiritual independence level? That is, who are you spiritually as an individual in life rather than as a group? Not as a family member. Not as a husband or a wife in this case. Not as a church member. Not as a visitor. Take the litmus test for yourself here. And let me ask you five questions for you. Strip away the social stuff. The sharing of the Bible passages on social media. The pats on the back that we give and that others give us. Strip it away. These five questions are for you and you alone. How am I seeking my God? Who I desperately want to be seeking. How am I ordering my life schedule to facilitate my seeking of God? Because I am willing to change things in my life to facilitate my seeking of God. Number three, is my sin or my righteousness showing more? Because I can measure this accurately now that I have eyes to see from God himself. Number four, am I a building block or a breaking down for Christian community? Because I know that I must serve rather than be served. I must build rather than tear down, just like my Savior, Jesus. And number five, is my life marked by the necessary humility of a sheep who was once doomed, disfavored, and deserted, but is now saved favored and found? These are important questions that we must answer. If you'd like a printout of them, I'll get it for you. It's on YouTube. Go back and listen, but answer them for yourself. Spiritual independence level. It matters now in this century. It matters now for the next generation. It matters more than you might think. 
We must be sober and humble and serious, even as we see a positive text in the Word this morning. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your Word. A good Word in season. Yes, convicting of sin, oh, Heavenly Father. And yet, Lord, comforting in the gospel of Jesus. For by the negative, we see the great positive of who you are and of who we are and of how we move forward, even in this world, even now. Lord, please bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.